This week on a Quick Timeout Plus newsletter, I dive into Nate Oates' Alabama five-out offense, diagrams and film of some of the Tide's favorite actions out of their pace and space offense. Those of you who are members received in last week's newsletter a John Shire Fast Model Fast Draw playbook just in time to follow along Duke's run in the ACC tournament. Become a member for just $5 per month and $40 per year. To sign up for a Quick Timeout Plus, click the link found in the description below. Welcome into Hoops Forum, a production of Radius Athletics and a Quick Timeout Podcast. I'm Tony Miller, and joining me once again this week is my co-host, Randy Sherman. Big thanks to our sponsors over at 323 Sports. Your players, parents, and fans will love the 323 Sports $55 team packs. Each pack includes a short-sleeve tee, long-sleeve tee, performance short, and heavyweight hoodie, all with your school's branding included. To find out more, visit 323sports.com or you can contact a sales rep at sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your basketball program. Well, March is here, and mm-hmm. when it comes to the conference tournaments and the national tournaments and everything else, uh, we love March Madness here in the U.S. Randy, yes. while watching some games, uh, even this week, yeah. there were some things that I, I thought that maybe we could talk about and uh, okay. some things I wanted to get your opinion on. Uh, I'll start broad here. Uh, trends that you're noticing, maybe anything specific to styles of play or something within those styles of play. In the college game, I would say some. Uh, I, I think, I think what has happened as long as I've been an observer of basketball, and that's been since the late '80s, early '90s. I started coaching in '95, and so a long time. Um, is things sort of trickle down from the professional NBA level down to the college, down to the pro or to the, you know, amateur high school, whatever you want to call that level, um, depending on where you are listening. Um, but yeah, so I guess like I see uh, some trends, um, more five out more, more depth of the offensive spacing, meaning, uh, you know, what started in the analytics revolution, the NBA is now pretty much saturated, at least the high level college basketball that we watch on television is, is the depth of spacing, meaning like guys are all the way down to the corners in the rim debt at rim depth and not playing like, you know, kind of up above the baseline. There's always sort of that width and depth of spacing. It's getting a little bit better overall. Um, and I see a lot of, um, I guess you could say um, five out actions that that from the from at least at the beginning of the possession there may not be a post player occupying the ball side block or 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 something like that. It's more there's more of a big guy trailing or or uh, you know something like that or drag ball screen side ball screen what i would call a side drag or something like that so the the initial setup of the offense isn't as much you know two guys down on the blocks three guards so that that's a definite trend i'd say um you know the the prevalence of of generating offense off off dribble penetration is pretty pretty well saturated throughout the college game as far as whether that be straight 
driving it or using a ball screen to generate that penetration. But I think that's, that's, uh, that's, that's something I see if you, um, it could be a bias of mine just because I tend to look for some sort of Princeton esque and Princeton inspired teams out there. They may not be full on Princeton, but you see some of those uh, nods to that offense and some of the things they do playing off splits and, and, you know, dribble lats and stuff like that. See that. Um, I would say, um, yeah, those are some of the things, trends I see. Yeah, somebody that's I've done a lot, uh, those that have followed with like fast model and drawing plays, and Randy's mm -hmm. done a lot of that as well. And, sure. I, you know, I haven't done a deep dive study on this, and I don't have numbers with it, but it does feel like there's fewer set plays that, yeah. that are run. I would agree. Set plays are reserved primarily for your special situations and ATOs, but even ATOs a lot of times are just uh, combinations of, of concepts and actions, not necessarily like a set play. Um, there's also, it seems to be fewer uh, continuity offenses where you're seeing the same thing happening over and over. And yeah. I do think that that sometimes can maybe be mistaken as being sloppy basketball because um, there's not this, I can't identify them doing the same thing and it does time it does sometimes look a little bit bit sloppy um i saw somebody comment last night about you know a lot of it i'm i don't know what i don't know what game they were watching but there was four guys standing around watching one guy dribble the ball um that that very well may have been the case bad basketball is still bad bad basketball and i, I wouldn't say that um that's good but i do think that when you play conceptually sometimes wherever that ball goes determines what happens next and yeah. players are sometimes slower to think about, okay, what am I, what am I seeing? What do I need to do next? But to your point, I do think that we're training players to look for space and sometimes that requires them to slow down, which can almost slow down your offenses sometimes. Um, yeah. So unless you're running like the Princeton actions, like we talked about where there's four or five guys moving that triggers what the next thing is happening. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that can look maybe uh, not as pretty as, as people would like it to be, but um, just interesting the, the the way that the game has gone. And we'll come back and talk about like some of those teams to watch for and some okay. things and, and specific actions and that sort of stuff. Um, maybe in that same vein of uh, the, the guy who didn't like what he, what he saw, are there any trends that you aren't fond of or don't like that you're seeing in today's game? Yeah, I would say there's just this sort of general stalemate that I don't like that I do see quite a bit. Um, the past two weeks I've watched, you know, with the, with the coaches I work with that are high school coaches, a lot of their playoff games and, you know, third, fourth round of the playoffs, regional tournament, state tournament type games, then watching uh, conference play and conference tournaments in on, on television and then on into March Madness as we go, I guess the stalemate I would describe it as is we've got a defense who's doing everything it can to not let the ball get driven into the paint versus an offense who's doing, who's only trying to drive it into the paint anyways. So it just creates this sort of like bloody knuckle uh, collision heavy, just flopping flailing, bumping rock fight of a game sometimes that just is a little bit unesthetic. 
and I don't know if that's a word, but we'll call it, we'll say that's a word. Um, that's not aesthetic um, or aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, it's like the defense is doing everything it can not to not to get penetrated, and the offense is just their whole offense is we're going to penetrate anyway, and and uh, there's no um, I don't know it feels like gridlock. Mm-hmm. Like game I was watching last night felt just like that, and the game went over two hours, and it was no overtime or anything. Mm-hmm. But looking back on it, the number of fouls, the kinds of fouls that were being called. Uh, it seems like everybody still hates the charge call that's made in, in 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 college basketball, but you see a lot of that because of the uh, offense's determination to drive no matter what, and the defense's determination to not let them do that. And when they don't get the charge call, then it is it becomes another foul. Or I do feel like sometimes you have officials who just you know we're not going to call everything that happens, and yeah. so fouls fouls are you know overlooked, and then that's when it becomes kind of that sloppiness. So. Yeah, interesting to see how how maybe things will change in connection with that or not change if teams are just, you know, this is what we're going to do. And yeah, that's just how the, how it's going to be. Um, mag- maybe it's just the magnitude of the games that I'm watching here, mm-hmm. but uh, the the runs in these games seems yeah. to be more noticeable. Um, and I think probably it has some to do with you're playing. You got two teams that are your best teams in the conference or some of your best teams that are left. And so the gap between the two is, is very narrow, but Mm -hmm. still uh, basketball being a game of runs. I saw one team up by 19 in the first half and the other team came within a bucket before halftime. So they, there was a huge swing both sides of the ball at a side, when it comes to you coaching in a situation like that and knowing that within these games in March, you are going to have runs, it may not be 19 points, but you know, sure. 7-0, 9-0, 11-0, whatever. Aside from just calling a timeout, is there anything that you've seen teams do to kind of change the flow or to stop one of those runs or maybe get one of those runs going for their team? Well, with the timeout being the most obvious, um, I'll, I'll talk on that just briefly, but I'll, I'll give you some ideas beyond the, that. Um, one of my sort of like, um, I guess you could say automatics as a coach was if they, if our opponent scores three straight field goals, I'm calling timeout. If they score three straight field goals, I'm calling timeout. That that's maybe something actionable. Some of our listeners could, could take, we kept a possession excuse me, a possession chart. Um, so I would have my JV coach or assistant coach or what, Hey, that's three straight field goals and timeout, you know, like just to, so I know you want some ideas beyond that, but that's one. Um, I see, I see coaches, you know, kind of change the defense to um, from say zone demand or vice versa to sort of like the idea the rationale being that this team has sort of caught a rhythm against this defense and they found something that works and they're, they're, they're really, you know, they're, they're really just seeing it really well. And, um, and maybe let's, let's change defenses. Um, I think if you, if you want to conserve timeouts, another thing you can do is make substitutions. Like that's almost like a, a a little tacit timeout. Like, you know, we, we got to blow the horn, let this guy sub in, take your time walking on and off the court to almost, if you're trying to conserve your timeouts, we can kind of like maybe 
use one without using one by doing that. Um, I would say, um, I think if a team's making a run on you, um, it's okay to, to, um, have, have something you want to do offensively to get a basket that like breaks that run, whether that be a set play or just sort of like a command that says, we got to get a shot in the paint or we got to get a, uh, you know, specific player, a shot or something like that, just to sort of answer the run. So those are, that's, that's an idea. I think, I think to the, um, the, the main thing I would look at is like, how is the run being generated? Is it just transition? Like they're just, you know, rebound outlet scoring on us. Well, then, you know, maybe less, um, less, um, look at our shot selection that might be leading to easy baskets and, and, and get a specific player shot or get a specific type of shot that we think might clean that up. But like you said, runs are a part of the game. I think the biggest challenge for a team in March is, is sort of like withstanding them and, and um, kind of like when, when it's uh, when it's going just, just maybe trying some of the things that I talked about, but also, um, you know, knowing that this was going to happen, like it's, it, it, we're, and we're going to have one of our own at some point in the game as well. And that's what I see a lot of these games there, there's, they're, they're, they're withstood and then answered at a late latter part of the game by the team. So it's a little more back and forth. So those are some ideas. The two that, have paired together well for us was the calling the set play, especially, um, you know, if you can have a, a set of five plays or whatever, and, and this is who we're trying to get the ball to being very specific, I guess, about who you're yeah. getting the ball to and then what type of shot that you're getting. Because I found that most coaches, they're not just that they're not happy with the type of shots that they're getting. Um, yeah. And so if you can create the type of shot that you want in the hands of the person that you want to have that shot, that can dramatically improve your chances there. And then it, pairing that with, hopefully after that score, is to set up some kind of full court pressure. And our pressure that was helpful was not something that was designed to generate turnovers, but instead something that was designed to control the pace of it. Yeah. And Good all idea. of those things that you mentioned were, I'm basically not allowing, because typically a, a flow or a run is some, there's some level of comfortability that that, that, that team has had in doing what they are doing yeah and if i can make them change the way that they have to think or approach something that usually cuts that cuts that flow of of whatever they're feeling comfortable with so if i can then control the pace and then set something up and like you said last uh, you know i saw last night one of the examples you gave was there was a team that they went to zone and there was nothing special about the zone yeah but you could tell just from watching the game that it made the the other team changed the way that they were approaching and thinking about things. It just changed their, their, I don't know, their, their whole attack and aggressiveness. Maybe we're what we watch the same game, but I, oh. think, I think there's something in, in regards to focus and perception that probably is a lot deeper than what we prepared for today. But um, yeah. yeah, the best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love huddle assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats, lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. 
Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Combined with the HD quality, automatically captured film from the Huddle Focus smart camera, every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to find out more. This this happens a lot that I know I hear this a lot from coaches is like uh maybe they're 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 playing a team that's better than them. Maybe it's early round playoff and they're a fifteen seed and they're playing a two seed, right? Or something like that. And and I'll hear them after the game say, Oh, we we were we were right there with them until the second quarter. Then they went on a 15-2 run or a 19-0 run. And I was like, Yeah, well, they're a lot better team than you. They only had to play good for five minutes. Like they they you had to play good for 40, they had to play good for five. And they they did that and then just sort of played with their food the rest of the game. So you weren't right there with, you know, like that that sometimes is what a run is also just a team that's a lot better than you that really knows it only needs to like run hard for this part of the race. And, and, and you, you won't, you, that's fine. That'll do it. Yeah. 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 All right. Strategies for dealing with a dominant post player and mm-hmm. the pros and cons for those strategies. I think, um, man, I've, I've, I've encountered this for sure and definitely felt like I had no good strategy. <laughs> like, like what do we, what am I supposed to do? Like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of taking a knife to a gunfight here when they've got a six, four girl and my post girls, you know, five, nine or five, 10, like what, are, what are we, you know, okay. I could, what do you want me to front her play behind her? I've done both of those things. And you know, like there's really, sometimes there's just not a great X's and O's solution. And when I felt like those were, was the case, I just tried to change the tone and tenor of the game, meaning let's make it the type of game that a post player is not really involved in. Um, Like get it going up and down to where that post player is just basically running top of key to top of key and, and a shot goes up before they even kind of get a chance to go down there and establish some real estate and, and, um, and, you know, uh, I always say a post, a team where their best player is their post doesn't scare me that much sometimes, but where their best player is a post, meaning they have weak guards and a post. It's almost like they've got a great wide receiver without a good quarterback to get them the ball. Like, I mean, if, if you've got a great post player, but your guards are shaky and we can pressure you, deny you, uh, influence you towards, you know, sideline pin you, you know, really rattle you at at the point of 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 the of attack when you've got the ball, then we sort of render that good post player. All right, well, it's fine. She's great, or he's great, but they can't get him the ball. Um, you know, you see. T- aside from those ideas, you see teams sort of like you know go zone against a good. You know, like we don't have anyone who can just guard them on the block, fronting or playing behind. So we're going to go zone and and just I'd say the pro would be maybe you can collapse the real estate around the post using doing that but the con is obviously you surrender space on the perimeter you might get three ball to death or something like that if it's a complete team Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Doubling is another option. Um, I, I don't think that's a bad option. I've definitely done that before is, is doubling the post. We tended to do it from, from what we would call the top eye, meaning if there's uh, a ball side post and say, uh, you know, it's four out. So they've got two players behind on the other side of the court from the ball side post, we would have our help side eye, low eye and top eye. One, one sort of is underneath the hoop. One is like on up up the line, up the midline from them. Um, and if the ball went into the post, the top eye doubled down the, the baseline, the girl, or the, in my case, the girl or the guy guarding the post, their job is don't let them turn baseline. So kind of like play that low foot. So they can't turn to the base, like spin to the baseline. And then the, the double comes from the high side. So when they feel they can't turn baseline, and they want to turn middle. They turn right into a double team. We approach that with high, approach that double team with high hands to try to maybe get a deflection of the pass out of the post. The con there is obvious. Um, we've got two players guarding one, so that means three are guarding four everywhere else. So if that post can make a pass out of the out of the post, and um, then we're in a scramble situation and are going to have to really fight to reorganize. Uh, so um, those are some strategies. I've, I've used all or most of them and, and um, you know, to, with, with good and bad results. So uh, I have nothing different, but I do have a couple stories just from this year. Small sample size, but we almost had more success completely fronting mm-hmm. and deterring them from throwing it. And then when they did throw it, sending help from behind that allowed me not to have to work on what you just said. When I double, now I'm having to work on rotations and it was almost like, which one's going to burn me less. Yeah. And so I just encourage coaches to kind of think of it from that perspective. Um, I'll say this from the offensive perspective, if I'm somebody who has that dominant post player, if you're only just posting them up on the block, I do feel, especially in today's game, you're probably easy. You're easier to, to plan for and to scout for. And yeah. I, I've just noticed that the teams that have like the Purdue's and um, I was watching earlier this week, a, a team from a mid major that had a big player, they had success bringing that player out to the perimeter and using them as a screener really hard to get around. But then in addition to that, mm-hmm. dive them hard to the basket. And now you are forcing that team that's playing defense to probably tag or roll. And then you can have more open shots. So you're almost forcing them to kind of send two people to the, to the to the big man or to at least account for the big man um, and that's where i've seen t- t- teams offensively have success versus in the past when they do just sit a big player on the block and say you know we're going to throw it in there and then go to work yeah in that case that pr- that player is like a stationary target that we know where they're going to be and we can start running strategies at them another thing i didn't mention i've seen also is choking the post meaning um you know let's say I'm guarding the ball on the wing. The uh, the wing feeds the post, and I sort of dig down, you know, dig down in there. Um, I know Virginia calls it choking the post. They they'll they'll dig down in there with the feeders man, and 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 try to you know uh, they'll they'll teach the guy to dig down with his hand up to try to like flip the ball up if the guy brings it down off his chin, brings it low. We can flip the ball up, and they're just sort of like the motive would be to sort of like choke the post, get the ball back out from that threatening, you know, penetrating pass that they made to the block. 
I didn't mention that when you asked me some strategies and it just dawned on me while you were speaking to, to go back and hit that. So con to that would be a good team that, that enters and relocates that, that you're choking the post and the guy, you know, maybe you turn your head to look and, and you think when it comes back out, your man was right. That's what we used to say when we feed the post is don't be right where they left you, meaning relocate like higher, lower. Um, another con with that is you're vulnerable to split action. Like you're choking the post while your man's going to set a screen. Um, you're choking the post and then the, the guy comes off the screen with no one to show onto the, onto the, onto the guy coming off the screen because you're, you're down there choking the post. Um, so those are some cons to that strategy. That's good. That's good. All right. So as we enter here, you know, into the NCAA tournament, kind of finishing out the conference tournaments, mm -hmm. uh, coaches and or teams that you're looking forward to watching this March. That's a great question, man. Uh, there's a lot of them. I've, I've, I've been really kind of trying to zero in on a few because you really just can't watch them all, like at least not live. And, you know, you've got to go back and look at highlights or, you know, video services or whatever to uh, to catch catch them all. But uh, before I answer that, I would say, speaking of conference tournaments, I was talking with the coaches I worked with last night. What are your thoughts on what if I said if I was made NCAA basketball commissioner today, I don't even know if that's a real job, but um, one of the things I would change would be the regular season champ gets the automatic bid. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I I think that's kind of a big uh, how many teams we should have in the tournament because of that thought. And uh, a team getting hot in March may not necessarily be reflective of, of how good the team is over the course of the season. I think just because of the amount of games that you're playing, that should determine who's who's rewarded for playing in the in the championship rather than a team that you know, could end up taking a bid from somebody else because they won a couple games or, or, they, or just, uh, you know, the good, great, the conference champ, regular season champ. Exactly. Who went, you know, 15 and two in the conference gets in the conference title game and just has a bad game. And now they're in the NIT and we're sending a team that's 500 to the tournament to go get blasted by Duke in the first round or something, you know, right. Right. I think the overall tournament would be better. Now, would it take something away from the excitement of conference championship week and, yeah, but it feels more just to me. Yeah. And yeah, for sure anyway, teams that I'm I'm interested in watching. I'll start with sort of some of the I guess like the more power conferences or or you know highly ranked teams that that have been sort of talked about all season. I really love watching the Houston Cougars. Um they're physical, they're tough, they 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 play well on the road. I don't think they, I mean, I think they're, they're, they've got a great road record, a like true road game record. Um, they just do a lot of things that, um, and it's a reflection of their head coach, just a tough, tough as nails, um, competitive group of guys. And that, that's a reflection on, on their head coach. And, um, I really love watching them play. Um, I like watching Alabama play. Um, I think they're sort of the shining example of kind of like the mod modernity of, of basketball that has trickled down from the NBA. They might be the, uh, the, the poster child for that at the college level, as far as the application of analytics and spacing and shot selection and things like that. Um, it's always interesting how that team or a team that's really big on that, how that, 
plays out in the different um, arena of a single elimination six game, you know, progression to a tournament is that with when you're he- that heavily reliant on the three point shooting um, and, you know, rim and three and you're shooting 40, maybe even 50 percent of your shots are three pointers. There's such a variance from game to game in that. Like there, there's a thing that shooting variance is like we shoot 38 percent for three as a team doesn't mean we shoot 38 percent from three every night. It means some nights we shoot 45 and some nights we shoot 25 and and that it. So when you've got that sixth game on well, one of those six games is probably going to be one of those nights that 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 it's not going. So it's always interesting to me to see like. I mean, I may eat these words, but I probably won't pick them to win the tournament. But I could see them winning it. But I won't pick them because I think of one of those six games. It's just not going to happen for them. And that's that's um, that's that. But I'm I'm in, I'm intrigued by that sort of type of team at the uh, at the at the uh, at the college level when it's not necessarily the same sport. As, as the professional level. Um, another team I've watched a little bit of recently because I've just been looking at some of the Ken Palm numbers and things like that is St. Mary's out in California. Uh, really good defensive team, a, a good offensive team, but a really good defensive team. Um, always competitive, very good tradition out there. And, and I think this year they're actually won the conference over Gonzaga. If I think they're the number one seed in that tournament. So that's, that's, that's a bit of a development. So this might be the best team they've had. If that's the case, if they, you know, so um, maybe I'll go off the radar a little bit, a couple other teams that um, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I like watching Furman. Um, I like watching, um, I, I like watching the, them and some of the concepts they do. So I'll stop there and let you answer one. Sorry. Uh, those are good. A couple of those came to my mind, you know, Alabama in particular, uh, Furman as well. If your uh, coach is interested in conceptual offense and five out and kind of a hybrid of those things, those coaches have made them their own. So you're not going to see like pure, you will see like very common actions yeah. and you're like, Oh yeah, that is that. And it will be that. Yes. But then you'll see some other things as well that they've Another added thing in. about Furman that I've noticed after watching some film the past few days, probably since the 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 better Villanova teams, probably the best team I've seen of stride stopping, jump stopping, barkling, and gnashing. Like they do all of that stuff very well. Like they all play off two feet. They'll they get to good stops. So that I always look for the that something like that. Like like when I watch a team play, like. I should be able to see from watching a game something that you as a coach emphasize just jump off the screen at me. You know, I watch the Houston Cougars. It's offensive rebounding. They just go get it, man. Like that that's a little thing that jumps off the screen when I watch them play. Like all their players do it. Now, if one of your players does it, that just may be his good habit. But this is this is something that you would know. So I'll shut up. But like I've I've definitely noticed that. Yeah, if you want to hear more about that, how they teach that, then go back and listen to a quick timeout podcast with Coach Jeremy Grow. Okay. We had an entire episode on their footwork and how they teach that, and they do a fantastic job. So I'm not that. wrong. No, you're not wrong at okay, all. Okay, that, I, I didn't pick up on that. 
that's something very intentional that they do, and they spend a lot of time doing it. And it it's a part of their offense. It's not like you can do this if you want to. It's it's how they teach their offense and how it actually it generates particular shots for them. In yeah, the second cut when they, they stop, they make second cuts. You see it all the time in their. Yeah, they do a great job with that. Yeah, There's, sorry to interrupt. But. That's all right. There's one more that I would encourage. Uh, Fairly Dickinson okay. is one with Coach Tobin Anderson. This is his first year, and it doesn't matter what happens in their championship game. They're going because the other team isn't, isn't a qualifier yet for the NCAA tournament. Okay. So they're actually headed to the NCAA tournament already, and he is in his first year, was a D2 coach last year, and he does a fantastic job. Uh, they, play, they do a lot of uh, five-out and uh, they use a lot of staggers, and they do a lot of uh, unique things with their stagger screens, and that's another plug for okay. going back and searching a Quick Time Out podcast and listening to Tobin Anderson's uh, episode. It was released, I think, early early winter this last year, but um, they're a team that if you're wanting to watch that kind of offense, he would be great as well. And then just the kind of the the standards, uh, you know, set plays, coaches love those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Purdue, Creighton is another one. If you haven't watched, nobody's going to like this, but if you haven't watched Duke this year, like John Shire and what he's doing, a lot of uh, set plays, horns, and kind of uh, he does the series of things. So they'll come down the floor and um, they'll start with an opening horns play and then they'll come back down the floor and run the exact same thing, but then do kind of like step number two and they'll Mm -hmm. come down the floor and do the exact same thing again and step number three. And so they have kind of like a family of, uh, of, of plays that they run um at different times in the game so those would just be some coaches i think that off the top of my head probably i'm gonna offer one more that came to me that a team i always like sometimes when i'm they'll be on and it's late at night and i can't fall asleep uh san diego state Hmm. they uh they're a really good defensive team so um probably top 10 or 15 in the country in defense and um that's something that they kind of perennially are in the metrics rankings as top 10, 15 in defense. So again, with the, like, this is something we do here. It's not negotiable. Uh, and it, they're, they're a good, a good defensive team to watch. If you, if you, if you're into watching not just offense, but you know, really good defense too. Yeah. A lot of great teams, ones that you may not uh, be as familiar with, especially uh, here at the conference tournaments, but then also the NCAA tournament coming up. So a lot of exciting things here on the horizon. That'll do it for this week. Appreciate all of you who listened, watched. If you missed any part of the live show, you can go back and search, uh, excuse me, search Hoops Forum on YouTube. There you'll find the video version of the show. And then if you're looking for the audio version, just go to any podcast platform and search a quick timeout and you'll find that there. For Randy Sherman, I'm Tony Miller. We'll talk to you again next time on Hoops Forum.